22, e in bed after waking up, because it is largely owing to this habit that the secret vice is contracted, one of the common causes of premature excitement in many boys is a tight foreskin, it may cause much evil and ought always to be remedied, ill-fitting garments often cause much irritation in children and produce unnatural passions, it is best to have boys sleep in separate beds and not have them sleep together if it can be avoided, for, proper influence, Every boy and girl should be carefully trained to look with disgust on everything that is indecent in word or action. Let them be taught a sense of shame in doing shameful things, and teach them that modesty is honorable, and that immodesty is indecent and dishonorable. Careful training at the proper age may save many a boy or girl from ruin. 5. Sexual Passions The sexual passions may be a fire from heaven, or a subtle flame from hell. It depends upon the government and proper control. The noblest and most unselfish emotions take their arise in the passion of sex, its sweet influence, its elevating ties, its vibrations and harmony, all combine to make up the noble and courageous traits of man. 6. When passions begin, it is thought by some that passions begin at the age of puberty, but the passions may be produced as early as 5 or 10 years, all depends upon the training or the want of it. Self-abuse is not an uncommon evil at the age of 8 or 10. A company of bad boys often teach an innocent child that which will develop his ruin. A boy may feel a sense of pleasure at eight and produce a slight discharge, but not of semen. Thus it is seen that parents may by neglect do their child the greatest injury. 7. False modesty. Let there be no false modesty on part of the parents. Give the child the necessary advice and instructions as soon as necessary. 8. The man insexed. By mutilation or masturbation. Eunuchs are proverbial for tender cruelty and crafty and in sympathizing dispositions. Their mental powers are feeble and their physical strength is inferior. They lack courage and physical endurance. When a child is operated upon before the age of puberty, the voice retains its childish treble, the limbs their soft and rounded outlines, and the neck acquires a feminine fullness, no beard makes its appearance. In ancient times and up to this time in Oriental nations eunuchs are found. They are generally slaves who have suffered mutilation at a tender age. It is a scientific fact that where boys have been taught the practice of masturbation in their early years, say from 8 to 14 years of age, if they survive at all they often have their powers reduced to a similar condition of a eunuch. They generally however suffer a greater disadvantage. Their health will be more or less injured. In the eunuch the power of sexual intercourse is not entirely lost. But of course there is sterility and little if any satisfaction, and the same thing may be true of the victim of self-abuse. 9. Signs of virility. As the young man develops in strength and years the sexual appetite will manifest itself. The secretion of the male known as the seed or semen depends for the life-transmitting power upon little minute bodies called spermatozoa. These are very active and numerous in a healthy secretion, being many hundreds in a single drop and a single one of them is capable to bring about conception in a female. Dr. Nathias in his, Transmission of Life, says, the secreted fluid has been frozen and kept at a temperature of zero for four days, yet when it was thought these animalcules, as they are supposed to be, were as active as ever, they are not, however, all was present, and when present may be a variable activity, in young men, just past puberty, and in aged men, they are often scarce and languid in motion. At the proper age the secretion is supposed to be the most active, generally at the age of 25, and decreases as age increases. 10. Hygienic Rule 
the man at midlife should guard carefully his passions and the husband his virile powers, and as the years progress, steadily wean himself more from his desire, for his passions will become weaker with age and any excitement in middle life may soon debilitate and destroy his virile powers. 11. Follies of Youth. Dr. Nathias says, not many men can fripper away a decade or two of years in dissipation and excess, and ever hope to make up their losses by rigid surveillance in later years. The sins of youth are expiated in age, is a proverb which daily examples illustrate. In proportion as puberty is precocious, will decadence be premature, the excesses of middle life draw heavily on the fortune of later years. The mill of the gods grinds slow, but it grinds exceedingly fine, and though nature may be a tardy creditor, she is found at last to be an inexorable one. Our secret sins. 1. Passions. Every healthful man has sexual desires and he might as well refuse to satisfy his hunger as to deny their existence. The Creator has given us various appetites intended they should be indulged, and has provided the means. 2. Reason. While it is true that a healthy man has strongly developed sexual passions, yet, God has crowned man with reason, and with a proper exercise of this wonderful faculty of the human mind no lascivious thoughts need to control the passions. A pure heart will develop pure thoughts and bring out a good life. 3. Riding in visions. Dr. Lewis says, Riding in visions of nude women may exhaust one as much as an excess in actual intercourse. There are multitudes who would never spend the night with an abandoned female, but who rarely meet a young girl that their imaginations are not busy with her person. This species of indulgence is well nigh universal, and it is the source of all other forms the fountain from which the external vices spring and the nursery of masturbation. 4. Committing adultery in the heart. The young man who allows his mind to dwell upon the vision of nude women will soon become a victim of ruinous passion, and either fall under the influence of lewd women or resort to self-abuse. The man who has no control over his mind and allows impure thoughts to be associated with the name of every female that may be suggested to his mind, is but committing adultery in his heart, just as guilty at heart as though he had committed the deed. Five. U-N-C-H-A-S-D-I-D-E. So far as the record is preserved, and chastity has contributed above all other causes, more to the ruin and exhaustion and demoralization of the race than all other wickedness, and we shall not be likely to vanquish the monster, even in ourselves, unless we make the thoughts our point of attack. So long as they are sensual we are indulging in sexual abuse, and are almost sure, when temptation is presented, to commit the overt acts of sin. If we cannot succeed within, we may pray in vain for help to resist the tempter outwardly. The young man who will indulge in obscene language will be guilty of a worse deed if opportunity is offered. 6. Bad dressing. If women knew how much mischief they do men they would change some of their habits of dress. The dress of their busts, the padding in different parts, are so contrived as to call away attention from the soul and fix it on the bosom and hips. And then, many, even educated women, are careful to avoid serious subjects in our presence one minute before a gentleman enters the room they may be engaged in thoughtful discussion, but the moment he appears their whole style changes, they assume light fascinating ways, laugh sweet little bits of laughs, and turn their heads this way and that, all which forbids serious thinking and gives men over to imagination. 7. The lustful eye. How many men there are who lecherously stare at every woman in whose presence they happen to be. These monsters stare at women as though they were naked in a cage on exhibition. A man whose whole manner is full of animal passion is not worthy of the respect of refined women. 
They have no thoughts, no ideas, no sentiments, nothing to interest them but the bodies of women whom they behold. The moral character of young women has no significance or weight in their eyes. This kind of men are a curse to society and a danger to the community. No young lady is safe in their company. 8. Rebuking Sensualism If the young women would exercise an honorable independence and heap contempt upon the young men that allow their imagination to take such liberties, a different state of things would soon follow. Men of that type of character should have no recognition in the presence of ladies. 9. Early Marriages There can be no doubt that early marriages are bad for both parties. For children of such a marriage always lack vitality. The ancient Germans did not marry until the 24th or 25th year, previous to which they observed the most rigid chastity, and in consequence they acquired a size and strength that excited the astonishment of Europe. The present incomparable vigor of that race, both physically and mentally, is due in a great measure to their long-established aversion to marrying young. The results of two early marriages are in brief, stunted growth and impaired strength on the part of the male, delicate if not utterly bad health in the female, the premature old age or death of one or both, and a puny, sickly offspring. 10. Signs of Excesses Dr. Dio Lewis says, some of the most common effects of sexual excess are backache, lassitude, giddiness, dimness of sight, noises in the ears, numbness of the fingers, and paralysis. The drain is universal, but the more sensitive organs and tissues suffer most. So the nervous system gives way and continues the principal sufferer throughout. A large part of the premature loss of sight and hearing, dizziness, numbness and pricking in the hands and feet, and other kindred developments, are justly chargeable to unbridled venery. Not infrequently you see men whose head or back or nerve testifies of such reckless expenditure. 11. Non-completed intercourse. Withdrawal before the emission occurs is injurious to both parties. The soiling of the conjugal bed by the shameful maneuvers is to be deplored. 12. The extent of the practice. One cannot tell to what extent this vice is practiced, except by observing its consequences, even among people who fear to commit the slightest sin. To such a degree is the public conscience perverted upon this point. Still, many husbands know that nature often renders nugatory the most subtle calculations, and reconquers the rights which they have striven to frustrate. No matter, they persevere nonetheless, and by the force of habit they poison the most blissful moments of life, with no surety of averting the result that they fear. So who knows if the too often feeble and weakened infants are not the fruit of these in themselves incomplete procreations, and disturbed by preoccupations for into the natural act. 13. Health of women. Furthermore, the moral relations existing between the married couple undergo unfortunate changes, this affection, founded upon reciprocal esteem is little by little effaced by the repetition of an act which pollutes the marriage bed. If the good harmony of families and the reciprocal relations are seriously menaced by the invasion of these detestable practices, the health of women, as we have already intimated, is fearfully injured. 14. Crowning sin of the age. Then there is the crime of abortion which is so prevalent in these days. It is the crowning sin of the age, though in a broader sense it includes all those sins that are committed to limit the size of the family. It lies at the root of our spiritual life, says Ref. B.D. Sinclair, and though secret in its nature, paralyzes Christian life and neutralizes every effort for righteousness which the Church puts forth. 15. Sexual Exhaustion Every sexual excitement is exhaustive in proportion to its intensity and continuance. If a man sits by the side of a woman, 
fondles and kisses her three or four hours, and allows his imagination to run right with sexual visions, he will be five times as much exhausted as he would by the act culminating in emission. It is the sexual excitement more than the emission which exhausts, as shown in another part of this work. Thoughts of sexual intimacies, long continued, lead to the worst effects. To a man, whose imagination is filled with erotic fancies the emission comes as a merciful interruption to the burning, harassing and wearing excitement which so constantly goads him. 16. The desire of good. The desire of good for its own sake this is love. The desire of good for bodily pleasure this is lust. Man is a moral being, and as such should always act in the animal sphere according to the spiritual law. Hence, to break the law of the highest creative action for the mere gratification of animal instinct is to perform the act of sin and to produce the corruption of nature. 17. Cause of Prostitution. Dr. Dio Lewis says, Occasionally we meet a diseased female with excessive animal passion. But such a case is very rare. The average woman has so little sexual desire that if licentiousness depended upon her, and influenced by her desire to please man or secure his support, there would be very little sexual excess. Man is strong he has all the money and all the facilities for business and pleasure, and woman is not long in learning the road to his favor. Many prostitutes who take no pleasure in their unclean intimacies not only endure a disgusting life for the favor and means thus gained, but affect intense passion in their sexual contacts because they have learned that such exhibitions gratify men. 18. Husband's Brutality. Husband's. It is your licentiousness that drives your wives to a deed so abhorrent to their every wifely, womanly and maternal instinct a deed which ruins the health of their bodies, prostitutes their souls, and makes marriage, maternity and womanhood itself degrading and loathsome. No terms can sufficiently characterize the cruelty, meanness and disgusting selfishness of your conduct when you impose on them a maternity so detested as to drive them to the desperation of killing their unborn children and often themselves. 19. What drunkards bequeath to their offspring, organic imperfections and fit the brain for sane action, and habit confirms the insane condition, the man's brain has become unsound, then comes in the law of hereditary descent, by which the brain of a man's children is fashioned after his own not as it was originally, but as it has become, in consequence of frequent functional disturbance, hence, of all appetites, the inherited appetite for drunkenness is the most direful. Natural laws contemplate no exceptions, and sins against them are never pardoned. 20. The reports of hospitals. The reports of hospitals for lunatics almost universally assign intemperance as one of the causes which predispose a man's offspring to insanity. This is even more strikingly manifested in the case of congenital idiocy. They come generally from a class of families which seem to have degenerated physically to a low degree. They are puny and sickly. 21. Secret diseases. See the weakly, sickly and diseased children who are born only to suffer and die, all because of the private disease of the father before his marriage. Oh, let the truth be told that the young men of our land may learn the lessons of purity of life. Let them learn that in morality there is perfect protection and happiness, physical and moral degeneracy. 1. Moral Principle. Edgar Allan Poe, Lord Byron, and Robert Burns, says Dr. Geo. F. Hall. Were men of marvelous strength intellectually, but measured by the true rule of high moral principle, they were very weak, superior endowment in a single direction physical, mental, or spiritual is not of itself sufficient to make one strong in all that that heroic word means, to, insane asylum, 
Many a good man spiritually has gone to an untimely grave because of impaired physical powers. Many a good man spiritually has gone to the insane asylum because of bodily and mental weaknesses. Many a good man spiritually has fallen from virtue in an evil moment because of a weakened will, or to demanding fleshly passion, or, worse than either, to lax views on the subject of personal chastity. 3. Boys Learning Vices Some ignorant and timid people argue that boys and young men in reading a work of this character will learn vices concerning which they had never so much as dreamed of before. This island however, certain, that vices cannot be condemned unless they are mentioned, and if the condemnation is strong enough it surely will be a source of strength and of security. If light and education, on these important subjects, does injury, then all knowledge likewise must do more wrong than good. Knowledge is power, and the only hope of the race is enlightenment on all subjects pertaining to their being. For Moral manhood. It is clearly visible that the American manhood is rotting down decaying at the center. The present generation shows many men of a small body and weak principles, and men and women of this kind are becoming more and more prevalent. Dissipation and indiscretions of all kind are working ruin. Purity of life and temperate habits are being too generally disregarded. 5. Young women. The vast majority of graduates from the schools and colleges of our land today, and two-thirds of the membership of our churches, and three-fourths of the charitable workers, are females. Everywhere girls are carrying off most of the prizes in competitive examinations, because women, as a sex, naturally maintain a better character, take better care of their bodies, and are less addicted to bad and injurious habits. While all this is true in reference to females, you will find that the male sex furnishes almost the entire number of criminals. The saloons, gambling dens, the brothels, and bad literature are drawing down all that the public schools can build up. 70% of the young men of this land do not darken the church door. They are not interested in moral improvement or moral education. 85% leave school under 15 years of age, prefer the loafers' honors to the benefit of school. 6. Promotion. The world is full of good places for good young men, and all the positions of trust now occupied by the present generation will soon be filled by the competent young men of the coming generation, and he that keeps his record clean, lives a pure life, and avoids excesses or dissipations of all kinds, and fortifies his life with good habits, is the young man who will be heard from, and a thousand places will be open for his services. 7. Personal Purity Dr. George F. Hall says, why not pay careful attention to man in all his elements of strength, physical, mental, and moral? Why not make personal purity a fixed principle in the manhood of the present and coming generation, and thus ensure the best men the world has ever seen? It can be done. Let every reader of these lines resolve that he will be one to help do it. Immorality, Disease and Death 1. The Policy of Silence There is no greater delusion than to suppose that vast number of boys know nothing about practices of sin. Some parents are afraid that unclean thoughts may be suggested by these very defenses. The danger is slight. Such cases are barely possible. But when the untold thousands are thought of on the other side, who have been demoralized from childhood through ignorance, and who are today suffering the result of these vicious practices, the policy of silence stands condemned and intelligent knowledge abundantly justified. The emphatic words of scripture are true in this respect also. The people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. 2. Living illustration. Without fear of truthful contradiction, we affirm that the homes, public assemblies, 
and streets of all our large cities abound today with living illustrations and proofs of the widespread existence of this physical and moral scourge, an enervated and stunted manhood, a badly developed physique, a marked absence of manly and womanly strength and beauty, are painfully common everywhere, boys and girls, young men and women, exist by thousands, of whom it may be said, they were badly born and ill-developed, many of them are, to some extent, bearing the penalty of the transcriber's note, the text appears to read, since, but it is unclear and excesses of their parents, especially their fathers, whilst the great majority are reaping the fruits of their own immorality in a dwarfed and ill-formed body, and effeminate appearance, weak and enervated mind, 3. Effeminate and sickly young men, the purposeless and aimless life of any number of effeminate and sickly young men, is to be distinctly attributed to these sins, the large class of mentally impotent, ne'er-do-wells, are being constantly recruited and added to by those who practice what the celebrated Erikson calls, that hideous sin engendered by vice, and practiced in solitude, the sin, be it observed, which is the common cause of physical and mental weakness, and of the fearfully impoverishing nightly missions, or as they are commonly called, wet dreams, for, weakness, disease, deformity, and death. Through self-pollution and fornication the land is being corrupted with weakness, disease, deformity, and death. We regret to say that we cannot speak with confidence concerning the moral character of the Jew, but we have people amongst us who have deservedly a high character for the tone of their moral life we refer to the members of the Society of Friends. The average of life amongst these reaches no less than 56 years, and, Whilst some allowance must be made for the fact that amongst the friends the poor have not a large representation, these figures show conclusively the soundness of this position. 5. Sowing their wild oats. It is monstrous to suppose that healthy children should die just as they are coming to manhood. The fact that thousands of young people do reach the age of 16 or 18, and then decline and die, should arouse parents to ask the question, why? Certainly it would not be difficult to tell the reason in thousands of instances, and yet the habit and practice of the deadly sin of self-pollution is actually ignored, it is even spoken of as a boyish folly not to be mentioned, and young men liberally burning up with lust are mildly spoken of as sowing their wild oats. Thus the cemetery is being filled with masses of the youth of America who, as in Egypt of old, fill up the graves of uncleanness and lust. Sometime since a prominent Christian man was taking exception to my addressing men on this subject, observe this. One of his own sons was at that very time near the lunatic asylum through these disgusting sins. What folly and madness this is. 6. Death to true manhood. The question for each one island, in what way are you going to divert the courses of the streams of energy which pertain to youthful vigor and manhood? To be destitute of that which may be described as raw material in the human frame means that no really vigorous manhood can have place, to burn up the juices of the system in the fires of lust is madness and wanton folly, but it can be done, to divert the currents of life and energy from blood and brain, from memory and muscle, in order to secrete it for the shambles of prostitution, is death to true manhood, but remember, it can be done, the generous liquid life may inspire the brain and blood with noble impulse and vital force, or it may be sinned away and drained out of the system until the jaded brain, the faded cheek, the enervated young manhood, the gray hair, narrow chest, weak voice, and the enfeebled mind show another victim in the long catalogue of the degraded through lust. 7. The sisterhood of shame and death. Whenever we pass the sisterhood of death, and hear the undertone of song, 
which is one of the harlot's methods of advertising. Let us recall the words, that these represent the pestilence which walk at in darkness, the destruction that waste at at noonday. The illusion, of course, is to the fact that the great majority of these harlots are full of loathsome physical and moral disease, with the face and form of an angel. These women bite like a serpent and skin like an adder, their traffic is not for life, but inevitably for shame, disease, and death. Betrayed and seduced themselves, they in their turn betray and curse others. 8. Warning others. Have you never been struck with the argument of the apostle, who, warning others from the corrupt example of the flashy Esau, said, Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one mess of meat sold his own birthright. For ye know that even afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. He found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Terrible and striking words are these. His birthright sold for a mess of meat. The fearful costs of sin yes, that is the thought, particularly the sin of fornication. Engrave that word upon your memories and hearts, one mess of meat. 9. The harlot's mess of meat. Remember it, young men. When you are tempted to this sin, for a few minutes sensual pleasure, for a mess of harlot's meat, young men are paying out the love of the son and brother, they are deceiving, lying, and cheating for a mess of meat, for a mess, not seldom of putrid flesh. Men have paid down purity and prayer, manliness and godliness, for a mess of meat some perhaps have done their best attire, and assumed the manners of the gentleman, and then, like an infernal hypocrite flog the steps of maiden or harlot to satisfy their degrading lust, for a mess of meat young men have deceived father and mother, and shrunk from the embrace of love of the pure-minded sister, for the harlot's mess of meat some listening to me have spent scores of hours of invaluable time, they have wearied the body, diseased and demoralized the mind, the pocket has been emptied, theft committed, lies unnumbered told, to play the part of the harlot's mate perchance a six-foot fool, dragged into the filth and mire of the harlot's house, you called her your friend, when, but for her mess of meat, you would have passed her like dirt in the street, 10, seeing life, you consorted with her for your mutual shame and death, and then called it, seeing life, had your mother met you, you would have shrunk away like a craven cur, had your sister interviewed you, she had blushed to bear your name, or had she been seen by you in company with some other whoremaster, for similar commerce, you would have wished that she had been dead. Now what think you of this, seeing life? And it is for this that tens of thousands of strong men in our large cities are selling their birthright. 11. The Devil's Decoys. Some may be ready to affirm that physical and moral penalties do not appear to overtake all men, that many men known to be given to intemperance and sensuality are strong, well, and live to a good age. Let us not make any mistake concerning these, they are exceptions to the rule, the appearance of health in them is but the grossness of sensuality. You have only carefully to look into the faces of these men to see that their countenances, eyes, and speech betray them. They are simply the devil's decoys. 12. Grossness of sensuality. The poor degraded harlot draws in the victims like a heavily charged lodestone. These men are found in large numbers throughout the entire community. They would make fine men were they not weighted with the grossness of sensuality as at island they frequent the race course, the card table, the drinking saloon, the music hall, and the low theaters, which abound in our cities and towns, the great majority of these are men of means and leisure, idleness is their curse, their opportunity for sin, 
You may know them as the loungers over refreshment bars, as the retailers of the latest filthy joke, or as the vendors of some disgusting scandal, indeed. It is appalling the number of these lepers found both in our business and social circles. Poisonous literature and bad pictures. 1. Obscene literature. No other source contributes so much to sexual immorality as obscene literature. The mass of stories published in the great weeklies and the cheap novels are mischievous. When the devil determines to take charge of a young soul, he often employs a very ingenious method. He slyly hands a little novel filled with voluptuous forms, reclining on bosoms, languishing eyes, etc. 2. Moral Forces The world is full of such literature. It is easily accessible, for it is cheap, and the young will procure it, and therefore become easy prey to its baneful influence and effects. It weakens the moral forces of the young, and they thereby fall an easy prey before the subtle schemes of the libertine. 3. Bad Books Bad books play not a small part in the corruption of the youth. A bad book is as bad as an evil companion. In some respects it is even worse than a living teacher of vice, since it may cling to an individual at all times. It will follow him and poison his mind with the venom of evil. The influence of bad books in making bad boys and men is little appreciated. Few are aware how much evil seed is being sown among the young everywhere through the medium of vile books. 4. Sensational Story Books Much of the evil literature which is sold in nickel and dime novels and which constitutes the principal part of the contents of such papers as the Police Gazette, the Police News, and a large proportion of the sensational story books which flood the land. You might better place a coal of fire or a live viper in your bosom, than allow yourself to read such a book. The thoughts that are implanted in the mind in youth will often stick there through life, in spite of all efforts to dislodge them. 5. Papers and Magazines Many of the papers and magazines sold at our newsstands, and eagerly sought after by young men and boys, are better suited for the parlors of a house of ill fame than for the eyes of pure-minded youth. A newsdealer who will distribute such vile sheets ought to be dealt with as an educator in vice and crime, an agent of evil, and a recruiting officer of hell and perdition. 6. Sentimental Literature of Low Fiction Sentimental literature, whether impure in its subject matter or not, has a direct tendency in the direction of impurity. The stimulation of the emotional nature, the instilling of sentimental ideas into the minds of the young, has a tendency to turn the thoughts into a channel which leads in the direction of the formation of vicious habits. 7. Impressions left by reading questionable literature. It is painful to see strong intelligent men and youths reading bad books, or feasting their eyes on filthy pictures, for the practice is sure to affect their personal purity. Impressions will be left which cannot fail to breed a legion of impure thoughts. Yeah.